0: Hi, everybody, it's Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM-7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. I am fired up about this series with Mark McLaughlin because he's not just one of the best performance coaches in the world, but it's also because of the subject we're gonna talk about, which is how to develop youth athletes so they can reach their potential without burning them out. I have to be honest, I am embarrassed for the field of strength and conditioning when it comes to training young athletes. I see it every time I go to the gym. Kids are training hard and doing stupid stuff that's not improving their athletic ability. And maybe I should put a caveat on this. It's not professional strength and conditioning coaches. A lot of times it's trainers that are underqualified. I see it all the time. It's really, really bad. And there's just not a lot to educate parents on this, and that's why I brought Mark onto the show today, because he's been coaching elite athletes for decades. He's coached high school athletes to Olympians, to special operators, and right now he works at a high school in Oregon, and this guy gets results. So today we're gonna talk about age-appropriate training. We're gonna talk about why you need to build capacity in kids, why you need to keep play as part of the process, why strength is actually really easy to build, but other things like speed are not, how to introduce speed into the training program. This is a phenomenal episode with somebody that I respect a lot. So let's get right to it. Let's lean in and learn from the best. Mark, I've known you for, I don't know, almost a decade now and uh, (laughs) followed all the work you've been doing with athletes from high school athletes to professional athletes to special operations and the thing that's always impressed me, and Landon Evans said this about you if you want somebody that's gonna get you a great result, Mark is the guy to work with. I'll never forget him telling me that. And I'm just curious, like, it seems like you are developing super athletes in high school, these youth that's- athletes that are just getting crazy results. Like, let's talk about this idea of long term athlete development. And what do you think it is that's missing at these teenage years that you're tapping into? That's getting you such great results.
1: Yeah. So first off, Eric, thanks for having me on, and uh, I guess we're really aging ourselves since we're talking about decades rather than yeah. rather than years or or months here. Yeah. So the youth athlete population is a very it's very interesting. And, you know, I started working with athletes back in 03. And that's the reason I got into this business was because I noticed in the sport of track and field of all sports that there was a lot of catastrophic injuries. There was a girl that was running a cross country meet that broke her femur in the last 200 meters of the state championship race. There was a kid that had, he was deemed, you know, the best 400 meter runner ever in the state of Oregon. And he only competed in the state meet once because he had chronic hamstring injuries. Mm. And so that's what really kind of led me down this rabbit hole of, you know, why is this happening? And when I was growing up, we didn't have those type of injuries. You know, we were playing all the time and running and and doing all that stuff and never had anything but maybe a sprained ankle. And one of the things that I stumbled upon early on was, you know, this idea of play. And, you know, it's very popular now, you know, free play. And I mean, there's soccer clubs in Europe now that are setting up academies that are play based, (laughs) which is, you know, ironic because probably a lot of their best players over the past decades learned that on the streets. So, you know, I think letting kids be kids, number one. I think number two is putting them in positions where they always want to come back to training. And so there has to be a joy of it and not to, you know, overcook them early on and just You know, let them mature at their own rate. And really, as a coach, you can just step back and just, you know, let that happen almost organically. And they're going to improve because of hormones and maturation and all that stuff. So, when you say don't
0: overcook them, what do you mean? Yeah. So, I think
1: right now, this, you know, phenomenon has been going on for years of just overcompetition. And so, when they come to training, like what, type of training should they be doing based on their competition schedule and then also what does the physiology say to you as the coach that you know is not going to put them in harm's way so like understanding cardiac development and aerobic capacity giving them a lot of this easy work through many you know any means possible that builds up that capacity and durability where they can repeat it day after day after day after day and then periodically sprinkling in some high intensity work when it's needed and steve magnus has a really great definition of training volumes and intensities and he says you know only visit god a couple times a year in your training and it's like oh man that's perfect But yet a lot of these kids, you know, are just, thank God, on a daily basis within their training. And so I think if you continually try to pull back on that stuff and not overwork them, that they'll keep coming back and love it, and then the gains will happen.
0: So if we think about long-term athlete development, right, Mm -hmm. like this is a long-term process, at what age do you think it's okay to start doing some type of, like, Outside of just kids outside playing, like, hey, we're going to start doing calisthenics. So we're going to, like, what age is appropriate to start some of that?
1: I mean, I think that stuff is appropriate. I don't know, first, second grade, like doing jumping jacks and tumbling and wheelbarrow walks and crab walks and bear crawl and climbing on things. I mean, we have our high school kids do that. I set up a gymnastics follow up in our wrestling room. We have parallel bars and pommel horse and. Doing that stuff as young as possible, I think, is totally fine. And exposing them to that early on is just going to give them a wider range of movement skills as
0: they get older. What about things like sprinting or weightlifting? Yeah, I think
1: sprinting, I don't know, first grade. I mean, I can remember playing tag with my brothers. Like you were playing kick to can and all that stuff. And that's what that was, right? It was sprint training. You go rest a little bit, you're hiding, and then you're sprinting again. And, and so I think some game activities to sprinkle that stuff in with those kids is it's
0: awesome. What about teaching them actual mechanics or form of like how to position your body or anything like that?
1: Yeah, so with, I mean, kind of weightlifting literacy or movement literacy – With the younger athletes, um, I'm getting some kids that are sixth grade at the high school because we have the junior high kids come over. So, you know, we'll start teaching them basic like hinging and lunging and squatting at the sixth grade level because, I mean, that is a skill and they need to have those movement proficiencies as they move through the cycle of training. And so I think the younger you can begin to expose them to that, the better.
0: So would you be opposed to like a nine or 10 year old learning how to hinge? I mean, these are things you're going to do anyway. It's like, but like taking a light, I don't know, light training bar and be like, Hey, this is how you hold this and bend and hinge and squat and press and pull and do pull up. Yeah, absolutely. When would you begin to start intensifying any of this? Well, I mean,
1: that's a great question. And I think it comes back to this copy and paste training models that a lot of people have like okay you know they reach 13 years old and now we can start it's mandatory that we start squatting them and intensifying them and i kind of look at what is the athlete doing that they continue to love and enjoy while making progress within a test battery whether it's chin-ups or pull-ups and I think you can intensify body weight exercises for a long time. I mean, if you look at Vern Gambetta's leg circuits, like you can do those in a different variations so you can intensify that. I think when you're adding load, say you're adding like barbell load, say 70% or something like that, I think 15 or 16 for some, maybe it's 14 for others that are quick that are already through that puberty stage so i don't really have a set point it's more of kind of the dynamics of that individual and just kind of how i see them strength honestly is the easiest quality to improve with the young athletes
0: do you use a one by 20 or anything like that or no
1: no, I've never used that, so I can't speak to that. I use five sets of five, four sets of ten. I mean, it just kind of varies. And also the constraints of what I'm allowed to do at the school with, you know, what's the weather like? <laughs> How many kids do I have in the weight room? Like, so there's other constraints where I have certain amounts of time and space available that <laughs> dictates the way that I prescribe stuff as well.
0: If you're enjoying this episode with Mark, do me a favor, pause the episode right now and leave us a rating on whichever listening platform you are joining us from, as this is a great way that you can help grow the show. So you talked about Vern Gambetta's leg circuits, like or leg training, like body yeah. leg training. Folks probably haven't heard of Vern Gambetta Tell people what you're talking about there.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Vern wrote a book, I forget the title of it, but in that he lists these leg circuits and it's basically a cluster of bodyweight exercises, say like 10 bodyweight squats and then 10 lunges on each leg and then 10 step-ups on each leg and then 10, say, jump squats I mean, you could almost call it a body weight French contrast method or whatever. But then, you know, based on your fitness level, if you're a beginner, say you take 30 seconds in between those exercises. And as you kind of get better, there's no rest between exercises, but there's a minute rest between circuits and kind of the the gold medal ending to those circuits is you're doing five circuits consecutive without no rest and you can mix and match different variations of that but it's a great way to start preparing the athletes ligaments and tendons and capacity and cuz if parents and coaches say kids don't play enough and don't move enough well lifting weights while it's important it's really not movement per se are they building those physiological capacities that they're going to need to be prepared to do the harder work later on?
0: Makes so much sense. Now from a power speed perspective, because to me, those are the Kings, right? Yeah. yeah. Speed is the ultimate King. Absolutely. Power has a force component, right? It's a yeah. lot easier to develop, but not speed is ultimate. When do you start doing any, like, I mean, for me, I'll just throw my own opinion here. First, yeah. really. Yeah. Love it look, kids have been lifting heavy stuff and jumping over things forever. Like my middle son is eight years old and this kid is jumping on and off everything. Right. Right, It's like when people are like, don't jump him. I'm like, have you watched him in the house? Like, um, but like low level, like rudiment type stuff or like, but when do you start progressing to more formal forms of jumping, like hopping and going over barriers and that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, like I mean, kind of right off the bat. I mean, if I have the capabilities to do it early on, you know, we'll run different obstacle courses for the kids, you know, where they're actually, you know, hurtling over stuff and jumping. So again, it's, you're getting those, you know, just like your son, like you're getting that stuff within the actual game or setup. Now, as they get older, and even some of the freshmen, it's like, you know, we'll do a low depth jump, say from a six or 12 inch box, just to increase that reactivity and get them trying to fire properly and maybe go over a hurdle and then up to a box, okay? Mm -hmm. So it's fun for them, they feel athletic. And honestly, like, let's see, I've been at the school now for four years. I've probably trained, let's say 300 athletes. Out of those athletes, I bet I've had 10 that have gone on to play college, okay? So the fact that people say, well, you can't use depth jumps and stuff until they're at the peak, it's like they're not far off from their career being over. So by preparing them and having them do some of this stuff, it's not going to end their high school career. In fact, I think it enhances it more on the development side, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. So I've seen you do some things. I want to talk about some of these methods I've seen you've been using, or I should say tools. So a lot of like reactive squatting I've seen with the Kaiser machine on the videos, yeah. you're yeah. using a Kaiser uh, calf extension yep. or toe extension.
1: Yeah. The seated calf raise,
0: seated calf raise, but you're doing it from a power perspective. Yes. Yeah. So I'm interested in this, like, Tell me about the importance of calf training and then let's talk about some of this reactive stuff.
1: Okay. So, you had mentioned, you know, Landon Evans, who's, you know, a a friend of both of ours. And Landon took that job at Kaiser, I don't know, a year and a half ago or something. And within a couple months, he's like, hey, man, you got to try out this Kaiser. And I'm like, you know, I'd heard Randy Huntington talk about it a little bit. I'm like, "Eh, I don't know, Kaiser. eh." So, you know, I, I have the guy the rep come out and I'm like, holy Toledo, like, why wasn't I using this when Randy was probably talking about it 20 years ago? And so then after talking with Landon, trying it out more, I was lucky enough to purchase the lake press from the University of Iowa. And then, you know, having Landon be my teacher, mentor, like just learning from him on this stuff, I just figured out that the power development, the eccentric phase that Kaiser allows you to get, it's unlike any other piece of a training tool that I've ever had access to. So that's how I got into it. And then I started deep diving from there with a the seated calf machine that Randy Huntington, I believe, helped Kaiser design with Mike Powell and Willie Banks in mind for that piece of equipment. And for those of your listeners that don't know, Mike Powell still holds the long jump record at 29.4. Mm-hmm. And I think Willie Banks had the world record at 58.11 on the triple jump. And when you hear Randy talk about the see the calf and how that soleus is underdeveloped in world-class athletes, I'm like, okay, well, if his athletes are underdeveloped, then my athletes are really underdeveloped and we should be using that piece of equipment. And so that's how I got there,
0: but you were using it for strength and also for power development, like reactive,
1: yes, and you know it's easy on the joints, you know the the kids really like it, the intent is high because it is showing peak power, and so you're getting these quality reps that maybe on a barbell you just would not get,
0: yeah, like my last college job, I had had a weight room I'd set up with a bunch of Kaiser stuff, and then I didn't get to see it in action. I bought Kaiser some Kaiser squats and some different things. I like the single leg one, too, because you can um, isolate. It's expensive, but my goodness, I think it takes the complexity of having a bar on your back, and you're just isolating the movement. And you can generate a ton of power, and especially if we're doing multiple repetitions as fast as possible, which is as close as you're going to get to. Nothing in the weight room is specifically transferable. Unless it's like a jumping event, right? Like, right. doing a, unless it's all general in high school, it can transfer to on field performance if strength is a limiter. As you get older, like my back squat as an NFL offensive lineman is not going to make me a better NFL offensive lineman. But the more close you can get, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. To creating more raw horsepower combined with really good skill. Now you're doing something pretty special.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the weather is a big constraint in the Northwest. And so that was, that's the other thing. Like, yeah, we want to get out and sprint on stay on a hill in the early season, but it's raining and it's slippery and our field space is limited. So you have to find other means to try to, as you say, try to get as close to that on field velocities or whatever and to me this is like the closest that we can get
0: i mean that's what Verkashansky was doing in hallways in russia right yeah they couldn't sprint yeah. they couldn't do certain things so they trained he, i mean he came a lot of a lot of his methodology came from limiting constraints if a parent's listening to this and like man this guy's really smart what you are and you're really good at what you do and they're interested in working with you what website should we send them to
1: yeah, so they can go to, to ptconline.co. I don't have enough money to get the M there. <laughs> so yeah, ptconline.co. And there's a form there that people can fill out for online training. And yeah, I appreciate that.
0: Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And if you enjoyed today's episode with Mark, we got two more coming. One, we're going to be talking about how to improve heart rate variability with anybody. And then we're also going to talk about his experience preparing special operations candidates for uh, selection and developing them on deployment. It's a fascinating conversation. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.